you are genuinely playing a movie and you are completely sucked into that world. Things like Cyberpunk, it's new IP, but it feels like you are jumping into a very well-built universe. Why are Nike's Chunky Dunky sneakers selling for $6,000 on eBay? How did Mickey Mouse find his way onto a face mask? Exactly how did all that Stranger Things gear land in your shopping cart? We explore what makes you click buy on the products that stand out above the rest, thanks to a little thing called brand licensing. Welcome to the Licensing Mixtape, a podcast by License Global. Welcome to the Licensing Mixtape. I'm Ben Roberts, and today I'm joined by my co-host and fellow content editor of License Global, James Donnett. Hello. Today we're talking about the biggest video game and movie titles coming our way in the next 18 months, the future entertainment hits licensees need to keep on their radar, and why exactly gaming and movies continue to make waves in licensing. Today, James and I are joined by Dan Amos, head of esports, and Jeremy Orris, director of licensing at Diffused. So guys, before we jump into this, um, start getting talking about all the titles, which I know we'll be able to talk about for hours, tell us about Diffuse, tell us about your approach to licensing, how you go about things a bit differently, and just tell us a little bit more about the business. Jerry! (laughs) (laughs) That's obviously my turn. Well, we've been around for a very long time now, and we're one of the very few companies that looks at creating collections. Luckily for us, retailers are about caught up with us now, and they're starting to buy collections. One of the big differences between Diffuse and a lot of other licensees is that we have a fair-sized warehouse full of really good stock across a number of different licenses that's available 365 days a year. The predominant percentage of people buying from that store are going to be fans of something. How does fandom play into your business model? Most of the people that work here are fans in one way or another. And you can see particularly with the designers when they're a fan and we say we're going to now work on Spider-Man. And you get three people step forward who are desperate to work on Spider-Man and show them their own fandom. And I think with those small independent stores and particularly with some of the websites that are popping up now that are very much about servicing the fans, it is that realisation of trying to turn your love of the brand into a product. And I think you see that with a lot of what we do. And I think actually just to build on that, you know, with fandom as well, it's it's now like you can express it in every part of your life. So I think it's, you know, it's become a cool thing to express that you're a fan of something. And that could be, you know, in the gym, it could be just out, you know, different accessories that you might have. And it's no longer, I guess, geeky. And I'm happy to say that because I'm proudly a geek. <laughs> you know, you can be a fan of something and you can express that fandom. I think I actually remember those days where it went from being very lame to being yeah. to be, to to very cool, and I suddenly overnight. I mean, I, it didn't affect my popularity at all, but overnight I suddenly felt a lot more comfortable. So you weren't like me punching the air saying yes. It's now it's my time. No, you weren't like that. No. No, well, with my Pokemon <laughs> Blue T-shirt. Yeah, I was. Exactly. I think my daughter summed it up best for me because when she was at school, she'd been a geek from about age two. And she said, I finally made it, Dad. The cool kids are inviting me to the party as the token geek because it's now cool. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to uh, geek uh, fandom or popular culture or cult culture, how does gaming work into that? Dan, I know you're head of esports at Diffused. So gaming is now on this rapid rise across not only entertainment is taking over essentially movies, paraphrasing. 
but mm. it's it's got this huge brand licensing potential. I mean, what are you seeing in that space? I, yeah, I think it's both awesome and fascinating to see how gaming has just become so big. And obviously, it's been accelerated by what's happened in the world at the moment with COVID. But even before that, my time in the licensing industry been just you know, shy of 12, 13 years. And a big chunk of that was just evangelizing about video games and how you know obsessed I was with video games but also how you know they had so much potential because of their inherent fandom that when you play a video game you are sucked into that world for hours and hours at a time um and they you know it's truly an art form you know when you look at some of the the ways these games are developed they're just absolutely beautiful and so incredibly well built um and I think that you know that that kind of ties so nicely into what the fuse is about it's about creating lifestyle creating products that you can live with and, and use and show and show your fandom um but gaming yeah it's such a big part of what we are and you know back in the days of me being an agent and looking for licensees that understood the world of gaming it's why i used to gravitate to diffuse quite a bit because i knew they got it so from my side you know, I'm pleased to be able to work across a, a large roster of video game IPs because Diffuse works with so many. But the world of esports has been just so fascinating to see it develop. It was an area that I was always interested in um, within my old role. And, and now it just seems to have had so much prominence. And I think it's partly down to the fact that so many games that have a competitive element to them are becoming service orientated, you know, meaning they're not about one release you know the game comes out everyone gets excited about it and then we wait eagerly for the sequel now it's about a game that you play you get better at you try to be the best at and if you're at that level you become professional at and that's been interesting because you see more and more franchises developing that approach um, and i think it's just going to continue you kind of um, touched on the coronavirus and how that accelerated a lot of things going on in video games with esports in particular have you also noticed more people kind of heading that way just because we're at home more and, and maybe don't have access to traditional sports De definitely and, I, and I, you know there were some really great stats that i i'm sure i, I quoted during my my piece during uh, virtual licensing week that i'll absolutely fumble now so i won't risk it but you know there's some really great stats that show how it has grown dramatically this is a catalyst to that and I think partly it's because you know as you say James people are clamoring after sport and sport was essentially put on hold um, it couldn't happen however people could dip into FIFA they could dip into Call of Duty they could play Rainbow Six Siege you know there's games that they could play competitively and what I think is most interesting about that is in the same way they could go to the park and you know kick a ball around they could also go online and play you know as a squad with their friends and in some ways it was easier to do that and it is easier to do that and it's also you know in some ways depending on you know what game you play it's just as exciting if not more exciting so I think that you know that has been it's certainly been a catalyst to having that become bigger and I think more interesting is the number of grassroots tournaments that are popping up you know not just the three million dollar prize pools like people just setting up tournaments. I know I did it. I set up like a family Mario Kart tournament. You know, spoiler, I wasn't the best. But like, it's one of those things that, you know, we were able to connect and play together and set up a little tournament. And I think that's happening more and more. And I think that's going to be something that will come out the other side of all of this is that, you know, people are 
more susceptible to the idea of competitive play in gaming. See, I think that's interesting. I think the competitive play side of things, uh, it kind of unlocks something in our psyches. So there's this achievement level, this reward system mm. that we have, and it's not just necessarily for online games. I know recent games like uh, Ghost of Tsushima, you have to be, even Dark Souls, you have to reach yeah. a certain level of perfection in order yeah. to get a sense of satisfaction from the game. So there yeah. are different touch points and different appeals to different games but i mean what are you guys seeing from those franchises from a licensing point of view that really resonates with your consumers i mean yeah jerry i can jump in on this one because i can i know the pain of doom eternal right i love that game i think doom eternal is phenomenal <laughs> and it is also frustrating beyond belief because <laughs> it's like if any of you have ever fought the marauder there's multiple times and i just thought no forget it i'm not playing this ever again and then i pick it straight back up again and go no i'm gonna beat it this time like this is this is the time and i think what's interesting about it is that that whole sequence of play is not about playing against another human being it's just about as you say ben just picking it back up and playing and beating it and, and having the the satisfaction of beating it but what that also brings from a licensing perspective is you're playing it a lot you know you're enjoying it you're developing an affinity to it and then you're a fan and maybe i want to get that marauder action figure for my desk and i do <laughs> but it was frustrating as hell playing against him i think as well it's just if you look back at the history of merchandise gaming is now where all the great artists are and the great artists are the people that create great logos and designs that are so desirable. Yeah. So if you, if you look at it, being as old as I am, I go back to sort of record covers. And at that yeah. stage, you think of the number of T-shirts that were spawned by fantastic record covers. Yeah. And now gaming has taken on that piece. The Assassin's Creed logo in itself is one of the mm. best-selling items that we have in our merchandise side having worked with Ubisoft for about the last 10 years, mm. not playing around too much with that logo, but reinventing it with each game has meant that that has become an iconic symbol that people yeah. put on a T-shirt, they want on a bag, they want it on a cat. So the artwork is bleeding the other parts. And just get the Doom logo is resonant of every heavy, heavy metal band logo you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, it, <laughs> it all looks fantastic. Yeah. So the, and the art that's coming out now in the games, you know, we're, we're not even seeing really the full power of the next year. Yeah. This is beautiful to watch. And that yeah. translates across with that imagery so well. You know, things like, you know, when I think about things like Horizon Zero Dawn and those um, mechanical dinosaurs, they yeah. themselves are a piece of beauty that you want to see replicated in different ways. Yeah. And it's just that artwork and how it, you know, you want it in your life, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, I get I get excited when uh, concept art books come out for certain games. Mm. So there's that real resonance of of your right, Jeremy, is that the beauty of these games are beyond fold. I mean, some of them now have photo modes, so you can stop and just take a picture and share it on the PlayStation platforms. So yeah. there's also that community behind it as well. But you mentioned uh, Assassin's Creed, and recently you guys launched a really interesting range of apparel there. So what other kind of franchises are you working with? What are you seeing being really popular? I know Valhalla is coming out uh, close of the year, somewhere like that. I mean, what are you seeing and what are you launching that's really going to be quite big? Yeah, I think the other thing that's fascinating about gaming is you will see at the end of this year quite a lot of dedication to the console as well. Mm. So actually Xbox, PlayStation have become brands in themselves that people want to associate and wear. So if you watch this space at the end of the year, there is definitely an Xbox or a PlayStation piece of merchandise coming towards you. 
So they themselves have become brands in their own right and people want to appreciate. When we look at some of the games that are coming through, it's how games resonate with the things that interest people anyway. So, you know, Bethesda's announcement about Deathloop, it's really a reimagining of a 1960s French noir film mm. coming back. So you've got all of these pieces that interact, and then you've got games and novels and things like you know what Netflix have now done with The Witcher, mm. which has been a book and a game. You're seeing it going cross-platform and therefore yeah. building a bigger audience. And I think it's that reimagining piece both in gaming and on screen, that mm. we're seeing more and more of. You just look at the, you know, we've got the Eternals coming back out of the comic book piece from next year. Yeah. On all of the films we're, we're seeing, you know, what really excites me is really things like What If coming along. The What If series is almost like an untapped goldmine for Marvel. I think also that all the titles we kind of talked about uh, speak to just the diversity in in different types of games that are out there i mean you look at like animal crossing earlier this year um Mm -hmm. compared to something like call of duty Uh, it's very diverse and there's opportunities for any kind of fan to kind of hop in yeah no absolutely and i think yeah animal crossing as i say going back to stuff that we've coming down the line yeah, we've had a, a great long-standing relationship with Nintendo. Animal Crossing has been one of those kind of standout IPs of this current Corona um, world we live in because it came out around obviously the same time as Doom Eternal and it couldn't be more different to Doom Eternal and it had such an incredible cross-generational fan base. Um, so that's something that's super exciting because it's, it also just allowed people kind of a little bit of escape, I think. And I know that the, uh, my household is a, is a big you know, big fan of Animal Crossing as well. So it's certainly been, you know, it's, you can see it's kind of proliferated everything. But just building on, you know, what Jerry is saying and, you know, beyond the games, we obviously work on a lot of movie IPs as well. But on the game side, from my perspective, Assassin's Creed has been super exciting and, you know, we're really proud of what we've done with that. And I think we've continued to, you know, to support the Ubisoft team um, within consumer products and develop really nice collections. Uh, There's other Ubisoft titles that we work with, you know, for example, Watch Dogs, the new Watch Dogs that's coming very soon. Um, I'm very involved in our our work with Six Siege because Six Siege is such an incredible esports title, and it's truly, you know, it's truly fun to play, and it's it's just so well built, um, and you can see why it's it's stood the test of time and and been around for quite some time, and will continue to do so. Yeah, you know, we we have we have this great connection with those sort of studios, and as Jerry said as well, Series X, PlayStation Five. There's a lot of focus on the consoles this year. And despite everything that's going on, you will see at retail a real focus on that. And it also means that 21 is just going to be really exciting because I think some of this stuff has had to to move into 21. So I think we're going to have a really busy year for video games also movies and tv but my love video games there's going to be a, a hell of a lot of releases in 21 yeah because 21 as well will once people once the developers get to know what the consoles can do yeah at the end of 21 we're going to see some amazing games oh from, absolutely from, and starting off with it as well i think what when you mentioned watchdogs that actually worries me because that's nearly where we are yeah <laughs> when you see the story yeah. <laughs> dystopian britain it's quite scary did they yeah. did they plan this for this time yeah. and you've, you've also in the same piece you've got far cry dropping as well at the beginning of yeah year, yeah which yeah that's going to be big which, when you look at what the last iteration of that was i can't wait to see exactly what they're going to bring in the next one 
Yeah. And that trailer is absolutely phenomenal. I know it's it's a cinematic trailer, but it, it gave me goosebumps to watch. I just I can't wait to play that. I was a huge fan of Far Cry 5 and I yeah. I just know that every game they try and take it up a notch, but they try yeah. and take it up every time and I can only just think about what's going to happen with this. But also you've got that uh celebrity influence with the big bad being yeah. um who one of the stars of Breaking Bad and yeah. that lends itself to brand licensing so well because that man is one of the greatest villains of all time no matter what he's in mandalorian or breaking bad yeah that's pretty phenomenal there are so many things and you know at the end of the year as well you've got yet another episode of call of duty coming yeah and obviously when xbox launch a new xbox we know that it's going to come with a halo episode yeah absolutely Bearing in mind, obviously, we've got video games, but we've also got movies as well. Uh, I mean, what in your mind makes a really good... We'll get to movies in a minute, but I mean, just to close off the video game segment, I mean, what do you think makes a really good licensable property? I mean, in the future, we've got Overwatch 2 coming out for esports, Witcher 4 for the the single-player people. Um, And I loved your connection between Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing because (laughs) most most of the time, they're the same players as well. So you've got this community of players that all respond to lots of different titles but what stands out for these people in your mind i, I think one of the things is we're now seeing the, the growth of the franchise and i think this is very important for retail as well because making the link between movies and games the retailers are very very scared of new games because they've been bitten so many times by the movie coming out and not doing what the studio says it's going to do so I think that franchise piece is incredibly important from a retail security. For us, it, it's about the fan knowing what's coming. Mm. So it's it's the second or the third instalment that almost sets off the merchandise side. Would you agree, yeah. Dan? De- definitely. And, I th- you know, th- there are reasons why things like Assassin's Creed have been around for as long as they have. And it's regardless of whether someone likes one particular game versus another the franchise is so strong embedded in um, and everyone is looking forward to the next iteration and what are they going to do next and it's it's also the reason that people try desperately to figure out what the reveal is going to be before the reveal happens Um, and when I knew you know it was going to be Viking based I mean what what an amazing idea to then take it to that kind of level and I'm, I'm you know having looked at some of the gameplay footage and um, some of the ways that the game plays, I'm I can't wait to play it and, and to your point Ben about photo mode I mean on those on those next gen platforms it's going to be amazing to see what they can do and how it can perform so that's exciting I mean the other the other kind of thing around you know for me for gaming is not just necessarily long-standing franchises, but that's important. And we'll talk about movies in a second because, you know, you think about Batman, Ghostbusters, you know, all those things that are long-standing franchises and they always work. But um, it's also, you know, story and something that is super engaging. Um, And I'm sure, you know, I'm not the only one that's excited about Cyberpunk because it looks so beautiful but I think it will have such an engaging story that it will be like that dream of playing a movie. You know, you are genuinely playing a movie and you are completely sucked into that world. So things like Cyberpunk, it's new IP, but it feels fully fleshed out, if that makes sense. It feels like you are jumping into a very well-built universe. It's real life. Yeah. And you can see, if anyone really knows Dan, you know that he really wants to be in Valhalla as well. <laughs> yeah. 
If I if I could have been in our photo shoot for the clothing, I would have been. I, that's the only reason I got the beard. But essentially, I mean, you're right. We're talking about IP. We're not necessarily just talking about video games or movies. Yeah. I think the the movie segment is really interesting to look at uh, because you've got huge production backlogs, mm-hmm. and that's affecting franchises. In 2021, you've got, like you say, you've got Ghostbusters, you've got The Batman. But you've also got streaming properties as well, which is something to look at. You know, they can launch movies a little bit faster. So, I mean, what are you guys seeing for streaming and movies? And what are you hoping to kind of either grab the license for or what are you launching? Well, I think there's a a lot of things coming because the streaming platforms as well are proliferating. You know, we've got Apple, we've got Disney Plus, we've got Netflix, we've got Amazon Prime. And when we're looking at what we would love to do, there is a lot of stuff coming through Netflix that is very licensable, but we're trying to work out how we get hold of the license. We've also got that HBO Warner platform coming down the line as well. Some of the things that excite me on the Marvel Enterprises, I love seeing things coming along like WandaVision, which isn't going to get a main cinema release, but it's going to be a series that I think is going to be incredibly interesting. And then when you look at some of the Netflix things, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really enjoying things like where they've interpreted the, the Neil Gaiman things like American Gods, which would be mm. really interesting to look at. Because mm. I think this is on the franchise side. It's like we want to be there for the early adopter and the fan, and we also want to be there for the long-term franchise. Yeah. And I think we, particularly in licensing, we're looking at different ways of doing things. We, do, we want to be able to, with a lot of the streaming pieces, have artworks and things early enough so that when the early adopters actually take into these series we can do very very targeted fan collections and i'm speaking to the studios now please send us some artwork earlier so that we can do this (laughs) uh, and you know something like come on netflix at the moment charmed which is a reinterpretation of an old story again that appeals to every geek because it's arthurian Wow. You know, these are the things that we want to be able to get involved in earlier. And I think the fans pick up on it as well, because if you look at things like Netflix now, it's saying, this is number nine this week, this is number 10 this week. And these are where the direct-to-consumer model is going to start to kick in, and we're going to see more and more of this in 2021. Yeah, It's like being able to go direct to the consumer when something like this comes out and goes, and here's the T-shirt, and here's the cap. And yeah. these are the things that you want because everything's moving faster and our whole industry has got to move faster to keep up with it, is my yeah. personal opinion. Uh, and where anything, anything I say, maybe, you know, it is my personal opinion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, and to your point, Jerry, it's about collections as well, because we, as, as a company, we're, we pride ourselves on, on building collections. And so, you know, we're not about the one T-shirt. And that's why we, you know, we like to work with brands that have the the scope and scale that we can do that, you know, and it should be, you know, if it's a cross generational, you know, male, female, unisex brand, we should be able to do all of those things, you know, and build collections for all of those people. And yeah, that's sometimes the constraint is the lack of, of assets and getting assets in time to do it and do it justice. I think the other thing that's really interesting about the movies at the moment is that what we find is it's not just the current movie. So if you think Batman's coming, we want the new Batman, but as geeks as well, we want the classic Batman. Yeah. Speaking on that, like um, when you're working with a property like Batman or The Witcher, which is on Netflix, so a video game and a book, um, are there different challenges kind of dealing with those kind of multifaceted properties and, and building up um, 
collections for that? I think one of the biggest challenges is convincing the IP owner that it's not all about the new and we don't want all the new artwork. Actually, as a collection, you want to be able to look across the whole gamut of that piece of IP and say, yeah. people want the old and the new mixed in and it's not just about the new iteration. And actually, and you're right, Joe, and also that the old may support the new, you know, and you and you shouldn't forget that, that sometimes maybe someone, for example, is, you know, a, a huge fan of the Witcher books and now will dip into the show. But where their love is, is actually on some of the iconography that is not necessarily within the show. It doesn't mean they don't like the new, but it's not what they necessarily want to wear. And it works both ways. And it might be that someone is you know, obsessed with some of the stuff that's coming out of the show, which I really liked, by the way. I thought the show was great. And um, and I think you, yeah, you have to be sensitive to that. It's Sometimes the, the retro of a franchise can be dismissed as not relevant anymore. And that I don't think that's always true. And I know, like, for me, like, if I love something, I want to kind of love every aspect of it, like all, all iterations of it. Yeah, and I think speaking as a fan, I kind of also just love like when you see little tiny touches or in jokes for the community and a product or something like that. So yeah. um, even if it's not new, it's it's neat to see. And we've, yeah. we've all we've we've all had those big bang episode conversations where you go back, which was the best iteration? Yeah, and that's fun. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, from my side, like I, I mean, like on Doom, I'm determined that we will do something with the Doom cheat codes from the original game. <laughs> like, doesn't mean I don't like Doom Eternal. <laughs> I love it, but you know, having calling out those Easter eggs, calling out those little references to retro, um, you know, I, I think that they, they, there's like a little tip of your cap, like a nod to, to a franchise. If I could close the episode with by getting your top, I don't know, one, two, three doesn't matter your top franchises for this year and next what would they be jeremy you can lead on this one this is like desert island discs i've got to pick my favorite <laughs> so if i if i was going for my video game for this year it would definitely be valhalla for certain if i was looking at my series that i'm really looking forward to this year it's actually wonder vision which i know is streaming well as a movie and then if i was going into next year I think I, I can't even pick for next year, but if I was probably going to go for one, I think it would probably be looking at the Q1 bits that I know are coming in the Far Cry. And then on the movies, I'm looking forward to the Eternals. Nice. Dan? So for me, if I, I'll go game, um, I am really looking forward to the next Resident Evil. Because I think that, so the Resident Evil, the trailer for Village, I think looked great. I loved the last game. So I'm very excited for Resident Evil. And and as an aside, also Cyberpunk, as I mentioned earlier. But I think Resident Evil is going to be, I just think they've, they've taken it in a really interesting direction. I'm excited to see what they do with it. Um, and then from my side, uh, yeah, the new Ghostbusters looks amazing. <laughs> so I can't wait to see the new Ghostbusters. The trailer looks so good. Um, but also uh, Morbius as well. I'm really looking forward to Morbius. I remember from the, remember the character from the cartoons, um, from the Spider-Man cartoons, so I can't wait to see what they do as a movie. Nice. And James, do you agree with these wild, wild claims? Yeah, I'm just <laughs> going to give a plug for Cyberpunk again. Um, I'm really excited for that as a fan of the Witcher series. 
Nice. Uh, well, I mean, I'm I've just been sitting waiting for Half-Life Three for however many years. So I'm <laughs> Elder Scrolls Six. When that rolls around, I will disappear off the radar. <laughs> but guys, look, that's unfortunately all we've got time for today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the licensing mixtape. Awesome. Thank you thank so much. You I loved it. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I, I forgot it was an interview thing. <laughs> as always, the License Global team wants to hear from you. Get in touch with us at news at licenseglobal.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook to leave your thoughts or just to stay in the loop with the latest news. If you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to follow us on whichever platform you found us on and we'll be hard at work bringing you more episodes of the licensing mixtape. Until then, we'll catch you next time.